And today, we have the very first message of the inward journey, which is going to be the first four months. And it is entitled, The Necessity of Solitude. Solitude. Wow, that's, that's intriguing. We're going to get into that in just a second. But let's recap. Our theme for 2017 is spiritual growth. And our definition for this, this is the reason we're taking the three journeys, spiritual growth. And our definition is from a guy named Mulholland, who wrote a book called The Invitation to a Journey. Here it is. Spiritual growth, the process of becoming conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And he says we grow, excuse me, not he, actually, the head of our organization, John Arnott, talks about this all the time. We grow through three journeys, inward pertaining to you, upward pertaining to your relationship with God, and outward, your relationship with the world at large. Today, we start the inward journey. Now, this answers the questions, who am I? What am I? What is a human being, and what am I specifically? What is my identity? And we're going to tackle all of these journeys from the perspective of a Christian, even though every single human being, just by virtue of being a human, will set off on all of these paths of discovery. Everyone will wonder, who am I? What's my identity? Everyone will wonder, what's going on upstairs? Is there a God? They'll seek spiritual truths. Everyone will do that, and everyone will try to relate to the world in some way. Everybody takes these journeys, but the Lord has revealed the truth to us, and we are going to use that, because God's divinely revealed truth is better than wandering. Make sense? If you don't have that, you're not journeying so much as wandering. And for a Christian, the inward journey involves taking on the character of God and changing behaviors, beliefs, and other attributes that are ungodly. Today's message will specifically focus on the true identity versus the false self. Now, if that sounded like a dry intro, it was. But now we're getting into the good stuff. I'm going to spend three whole weeks and maybe a fourth talking about this book. Has anybody seen this book before? Yes, Justin, all right, and Shamrock as well. This is Way of the Heart by a guy named Henry Nouwen. I love this book. And this is on the list probably of top five books of all time. They're just my favorites. So we're going to talk about this because I finally have an opportunity. I've loved it for years. This book is extremely instructive on how to take the inward journey. But we need to understand what this book is and what this book isn't. Because I've given it to someone who's very mature and loves the Lord a lot and completely misunderstood the main point of the book. So I have to clarify some things for you. This book is a course correction. What do I mean by that? It's icy outside, right? You're going down Stadium Drive. Suddenly you lose traction and your car swerves to the right. What do you do? Anybody? You turn the wheel left. Thank you, Joshua. That's exactly what you do. But once you're not going right anymore, your car catches. Do you keep holding that wheel to the left like this is the new direction? No, you're going to wreck, right, or go off the road. Like You correct your course, and then you keep going straight. This book was intended by Henry Nouwen to be a course correction for a busy, noisy, distracted modern culture. And that's important because... It's not saying we're all supposed to be monks, which is kind of what my friend thought it was saying. He said, this book hates community. I'm like, this book does not hate community. What are you talking about? And uh, he kind of misunderstood the main point. It's a correction. It reminds us of ancient disciplines. It's a course correction. It's not saying leave everything, go out into the Manistee National Forest and never see another human being. Why would you get that from this book? Well, 
This book talks about people called the Desert Fathers. The first of these guys was a guy named St. Anthony, who I'm named after. And about 251, he was born, and he died in the year 356. And he was famous because he was called the Father of Monks. When St. Anthony was about 18 years old, he heard a message, and in the message they said Jesus' words, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He felt like the Lord was talking to him. He did that. And then he felt like more was required of him. So he left everything and went into the Egyptian wilderness for 20 years. And then he went back to society. So this book uses him as a foundation and talks about the rest of these monks that went into the desert seeking a new kind of martyrdom. After Constantine, Christians were no longer being killed. And they were wondering, how can we radically devote our lives to God in a new way that doesn't require actually getting murdered for the faith? That's no longer an option. So they did this crazy thing. They retreated into the desert for a period of time into solitude. And this book talks about the disciplines of the desert fathers. But we have to remember, they did it for the sake of the world. Okay? Here's a quote. Society was regarded by the Desert Fathers, these monks, as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. These were men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and the values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. These people said, you know what? We don't want to be conformed into the image of the world, like the Bible says. In fact, we recognize that the world is so dark, twisted, and bad, it's literally like a shipwreck. And we, if we don't get out of here, we're going to drown. So they fled the world. They left, actually, and went into the desert to spend time with God. Now, if that's all you read, you would think, yeah, this book is telling everybody to leave and go be monks, right? But this same thought has continued. These people, the desert fathers, the monks knew that they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. They retreated from the shipwreck to take a dramatic inward journey to get things right with God, to be conformed to God's image, and then they went back for the sake of the world. This sounds a lot like our definition of spiritual growth, does it not? The process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So all that to say, read this book. Let it change you. Don't move into the wilderness. <laughs> Henry Nellen would want you to stay here. Don't misunderstand like my friend did. That still puzzles me. Anyway, the book is actually structured around a quote from a guy named Arsenius. Who's that, you ask? Good question. Doesn't really matter, but I'll tell you. He was a Roman of senatorial rank who lived in the emperor's house, and he was a tutor to the emperor's sons, the princes of the empire. This guy prays to God, lead me in the way of salvation. And Arsenius must have been a very early charismatic because he heard a voice and obeyed it. And this is what the voice said. He prays, lead me in salvation. And the voice says, Arsenius, flee from the world, be silent, pray always, for these are the paths of sinlessness. And he does that. So we're going to talk about those three topics. Fleeing the world, we're going to talk about solitude, 
We're going to talk about what godly silence looks like. And we're going to talk about praying always as disciplines in the next three weeks. Does that sound good? Excellent. Finally, now, I won't do this long intro every time. This is the one time, so memorize it, listen to the recording, because we're jumping right in next time. That was long. If we're going to talk about solitude, what does solitude mean? Because that conjures up different images for a lot of us, right? If we're extroverted, this just sounds terrible. And if we're introverted, we might have some very different ideas of what it sounds like. But let's face the fact that for many of us, life seems like this. You know, it is a constant fight. You win some, you lose some. At the end of your work week, you might feel like you've been knocked down a few times and you've gotten back up. It's a battle, man. Sometimes, I heard a pastor once say, sometimes we win just because we stood up. And sometimes life feels that way. If this is what your life is like, solitude to you might mean getting into your corner. It might mean finally taking the gloves off, taking a breather, maybe get a pep talk from your coach, get a drink of water. You know, So we use solitude as our time to get strength back to continue doing exactly what we were doing before. Right? Solitude is our brief break in the action so we can get a rest and jump back in the fight of life. But this is not the solitude that Henry Nouwen and the Desert Fathers are talking about. Something else we might think of solitude as is me time. Peace and quiet, man. This fisherman, misty lake, probably the morning, no cares, no worries, he's all alone, it's great. It's a break from stress, it's a break from responsibility. All alone, finally, right? No people to bother me, no obligations. But you know, this kind of restful, peaceful solitude isn't the solitude that the Desert Fathers and Henry Nouwen are talking about either. They are talking about a very intentional kind of solitude that works a little more like this. The solitude they're talking about is called the fire of transformation and conversion. Solitude to them was being refined by God actively. It was more like a blacksmith pounding on molten metal than relaxation time. And it really suggests this book. (laughs) Yay! Oh, it sounds so good. Solitude sounds so good. Well, it it actually is good. We're going to talk about why. Here's a quote from the book. To the Desert Fathers, these monks, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. It is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Remember, we're talking about the false self versus your actual identity today. And solitude is one of the key ways that you're going to take this inward journey and learn how to get there if you're willing to do it. So, To further define solitude, if you want true wilderness-style solitude, like the Desert Fathers were seeking, one, you have to get rid of all your distractions. That means no phone, no music, no friends. Henry Nouwen calls these things scaffolding. Scaffold is used to hold up things on a building, right? It's support. Guess what you would be supporting? You would be supporting your idea of who you are. You're supporting that false self the image you have of who you are, or the image that you think other people have of who you are. All that stuff's got to go, internally and externally, if you want to have this kind of solitude. Let 
all the supports go. Second, you're going to encounter God intentionally. You're there for him. You're not there for a break. You want to be conformed. You want to be transformed. You want to be shaped. You're taking a journey that's going somewhere. Third, you're going to encounter your false self. Oh, that thing that maybe you don't want to pretend is there. You know, maybe you know it's there and you don't really want to face it. It's going to show up. Luckily for you, you've encountered God first. And then lastly, it's the battle, right? Our false self is going to be overcome by surrender to God. And this is the goal. True identity replaces false identity. Does that sound like very busy solitude? Sounds like a pretty busy time, if you ask me. No wonder it took St. Anthony 20 years. You should Google images of the temptation of St. Anthony. Lots of artists have rendered depictions of the torture that he went through dealing with this very issue. Let's talk about encountering God in solitude. How you guys doing? This is different, isn't it? Yeah, St. Anthony, you got it. You know this book, actually, it's about St. Anthony, who I'm named for, and it was written in the year I was born. I'm just saying. I don't, it could be coincidence, probably coincidence, but I'm very, I don't know. I think that's cool. All right, let's talk about encountering God this way. This is the type of solitude we're talking about. This is Moses. He's being called up on the mountain. He's going to get the law of God. He's going to meet God face to face. The mountain is dark and quaking and fiery, right? It says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That is a prolonged, transformative, intense time of solitude, but it's solitude with God. That's intense. But this is kind of what we're after here. And this is common in the Bible. This isn't rare. Here's another experience like this. After Elijah has a dramatic encounter with the prophets of Baal, he decides, man, I'm just worn out. Everybody's against me. I want to quit. So God gives him a miraculous meal that enables him to run, guess how long, 40 days and 40 nights through the middle of nowhere, through the wilderness, to the mountain of God. He gets there, and this is what happens. God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God says to Elijah, get out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. This is an intense time. Elijah's about to be told what's up. He sought the Lord He's complaining, and God's about to tell him, you know what, you think you're alone? I have tons of people you don't know about. Don't question me. And if you're so sick of your job, your shift can be over. Go anoint this guy as your replacement. Ooh, not exactly the consolation he was hoping for. This is a corrective solitude with the Lord. Let's look at another one. Jesus himself. After he feeds the 5,000... Man, the world is clamoring for his attention. He's big time famous now. He fed 5,000 people. And it says this. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He did this a lot. Snuck off in the middle of of nowhere to pray with God alone. 
after he heals ten lepers, another amazing miracle. It says the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. These dramatic encounters frequently happen in the desert, in the wilderness. That's why St. Anthony and all these guys said, where do I encounter God? Where do I flee this world? Where do I get changed? Well, lots of God's people had it happen in the desert. I want to go to the desert too. And they literally went out there. One more. This is a surprising one. St. Paul, when he's telling his testimony to the Galatians, he says this. After Jesus reveals himself to Paul, Paul says... I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to be acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Well, Arabia means a desert or wasteland. He gets an encounter with God, radically changes the whole way he views life, and he goes to the desert. He goes to the desert to be changed, not on vacation. It's a hammering process. He's getting forged in the presence of the Lord. He's taking the inward journey big time. He's got some questions that need to be answered. They can only be answered in solitude. Does this make sense so far? Let's talk about the false self, this thing that we're going to encounter. Once we try to go into this kind of solitude, this thing is going to run out from the shadows and try to kick your butt. And here it is. Here's a quote from the book on the false self. The struggle is real because the danger is real. It's the danger of living the whole of our life as one long defense against the reality of our condition. One restless effort to convince ourselves of our virtuousness. It's the struggle to die to our false self. But it is far, far beyond our own strength. St. Anthony's story shows that in the 20 years he spent in the wilderness, he came face to face with what he called the abyss of iniquity. The darkness that's in every human being, he couldn't run from because there was nothing else there but him. And when he saw it, he felt like he was battling real tangible demons. And many artists will try to conjure this as well. This is from the Eisenheim altarpiece. I believe it was painted by Grunewald. And this is St. Anthony being pulled at and beaten and tormented by all kinds of nasty creatures. But this depicts what was going on inside Anthony in the desert. This is what this kind of solitude looks like. The false self, your, your nasty, sinful nature is going to show up and it is going to try to beat you into submission any way that it can. Oh, don't do that, computer. Here's some verses on the false self. This is Paul again from Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body, from this body of death? Thanks be, to, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what I want us to see here. I do not understand my own actions. Why? Because there's a conflict in Paul between the sinful part of Paul that wants to do things very differently, that wants to be something very different, 
And the Paul that is like, yes, I agree with the Lord, I'm saved, I'm a new creature in Christ, I'm redeemed, he's not actually two people. But there's this mystery of the false self, this fallen nature that wants to drag you back down. And he's encountering this, and he's like, I don't even get myself. Like, forget trying to understand God. Man, I'm a mystery to me. Why do I think this way? Why do I do these things? Why do I want to be this person? Here's an Old Testament parallel. This is from Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's a glowing review of a person that trusts in the Lord. And it's a good thing they trust in the Lord because they can't even make sense of themselves. Look at the next verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? People, far from being able to understand God, can't even understand themselves. They're so twisted. And then the next verse says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Good thing we have him. Do you realize that without God in this solitude, you have no hope of winning against your own self? We better encounter God when we encounter our false self, or it's a guaranteed lose. Guaranteed lose. If we're goaded by the flesh, that sinful part of you, the devil in the world, we will continue to manufacture false selves and false identities. This is a huge challenge for every single one of us in this room. I can list specific times when I've looked at my life and I've said, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do that? Why do I want to take part in this activity? And you realize, oh, I'm literally trying to create a false self. I'm putting effort into it. And I'm not letting myself know what I'm doing. Sound familiar to anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. All right, I got one. Thank you, brother. You're brave. You're brave. I respect that. You know, you'll instinctively become what the world around you rewards. You will instinctively become that. Ducks go to anyone with bread, even if they have a gun. It's just a fact. This is what the book says. The false self is the self which is fabricated by social compulsions. Dang. This is why we have to get rid of our scaffolding. This is why solitude is a discipline. Because we fight against removing those things that are propping up our false self. We put security in the false self. John Calvin said that the heart of man is an idol factory. I would add to that. The heart of every single one of us is a false self factory. We have an identity factory. I can't be this person, well, I'll be this person. I can't do this, well, I'll do this. That's why I dress this way. That's why I listen to this kind of music. That's why I do what I do. That's why I have these bumper stickers on my car. It's all scaffolding. It's got to come down. And when we go into solitude with the Lord, He is going to bring us right up into its face, and a battle is going to happen. Stripping off false identities by God, and only that will save us, and it's ruthless. I'm going to read a story from the book. You guys doing okay? It's quiet. No humor in this message. Isn't that this unique? This is a, yeah, just straight and grim, man. (laughs) This is a, a sampling of what the stories from the desert are like. Because they wrote stories, and they wrote stories about each other. So this is kind of a neat one. This is a a story by a guy named Abba Elias. Everybody was Abba somebody because they were the desert fathers, you know. And there were mothers too, just so you know. 
Here's the story. An old man was living in a temple, and the demons came to him and said, Leave this place which belongs to us. And the old man said, No place belongs to you. And then the demons began to scatter his palm leaves about one by one. And the old man, old man went on gathering them together with persistence. A little later, the devil himself takes his hand and pulls him to the door. When the old man reached the door, he seized the lintel with the other hand, crying out, Jesus, save me. And immediately the devil fled away. Then the old man began to weep. And the Lord asked him, why are you weeping? And the old man said, because the devils have dared to seize a man and treat him like this. The Lord said to him, you've been careless. As soon as you turn to me again, you see I was beside you. Ooh. The only time we can win against a direct demonic assault, against a battle with the false self, against our own ideas of who we are, is if the one doing the fighting is actually God who's with us. Sure lose unless he's in the equation. Guaranteed, the devil was nowhere on that mountain with Moses. Nowhere on that mountain with Elijah. Nowhere on that mountain with Jesus during the transfiguration. Okay? In solitude, we have to bring God into the fight. Well, he might have been somewhere, but he wasn't happy. <laughs> One last long quote, if this is okay. It's got to be okay because it's already on the screen. You guys are so good to me. We enter into solitude, first of all, to meet our Lord and to be with him and him alone. Only in the context of grace can we face our sin. Only in the place of healing do we dare to show our wounds. Only with single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our clinging fears and face our own true nature. As we come to realize it is not we who live, but Christ who lives in us, that he is our true self. We can slowly let our compulsions melt away and begin to experience the freedom of the children of God. This is the goal. Solitude is not a vacation. It's a hammering process. It's being forged. You're taking the inner journey. That journey will not be unopposed. The devil will oppose you. The world around you will oppose you. And as we're focusing on today, the fake you that's in you and in me will oppose you. And you can only win if you meet God first and he does the fighting. So I'm going to end with a challenge. Let me check on how I'm doing on time. Good. This is an inward journey challenge. And I, you know, I want you guys to do this. I really, really do. Find a desert. Find a wilderness. This book is not trying to get you to move to Egypt. This book is trying to get you to be responsible for your own solitude as Henry Nouwen says. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, Jesus says. Get alone. Find a place. Make it a discipline. 20 minutes, half hour, an hour. Get rid of the scaffolding. Go with God and encounter him there on purpose. Next, drop your distractions. They might be physical and they might be mental. Get rid of them. Lay it all down. Don't take the phone. For crying out loud, leave the phone in your room. Encounter God on purpose. 
Now, if, if you're here and you're saying this whole encountering God thing seems out there, it seems a bit mystical, it seems like kind of weirdo stuff, I was never charismatic, maybe you grew up Presbyterian or Baptist, I grew up Baptist, I've got a, a hot tip for you. This is encountering God made simple, okay? Get a Bible, go to the book of Matthew, read either Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 7. And you can stay in those three chapters pretty much for the rest of your life. Just pick one and think about it. And you will encounter something in that word that demands the false self be torn down. Guaranteed. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, or Matthew chapter 7. You're no good at this hearing the voice of God stuff? That's all right. We have the Bible. That is the word of God. It counts. Encounter God on purpose and dismantle your false self. Go into the place of healing with the Lord. Don't be afraid because he's going to do the fighting for you. And the identity he has for you is so much better and so much freeing than the identity you think you have to make for yourself. Sound good? Who's going to accept this challenge? First three people to raise their hand. One, two, three. Oh, I saw these guys over here. I have books. I actually have copies of this book. If you want it, you can have it. You guys can come up and snag them or I'll give it to you at the end. You can give those to Pat and Dave as well. And if people want to snag those from you, if they're desperate, if you see that hunger in their eyes, you know, don't deny them. So those are on me. Guys, thank you very much. Let's pray together, okay?